Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. Cultivating a lifestyle of generosity will transform every aspect of your life, marriage, family, relationship, and your finances. Join Michael Montoya from Jesus for Life Ministries as he reveals the truth to experiencing God's abundance and grace every day. Welcome to Jesus is the Voice of Truth. We're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 7, 8, and 9, and we're going to start with the saved in the Great Tribulation. So turn your Bibles to chapter 7, and we'll start. Chapter 7 comes between the 6th and the 7th seal and introduces us to two important companies of believers. The chapter answers the question at the end of chapter 6, who is able to stand? Those described in this chapter will stand in a sense that they will be spared to enter the millennium with Jesus. Let's look at Revelations chapter 1, verses 1 and 4. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming from the east, having the seal of living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. The vision of four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and holding back the four winds means that a great storm is about to burst on the world. However, the angels are told to delay this terrible destruction until the servants of God have been sealed on their foreheads. Twelve thousand persons from each tribe of Israel are then sealed. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7 verses 5 and 8. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. The 144,000 are clearly Jewish believers, not member of some 20th century Gentile cult. These Jewish saints are saved during the early part of the tribulation. The seal on their forehead brands them as belonging to God and guarantees that they will preserved alive during the ensuing seven years. Two tribes are absent from the list, Ephraim and Dan. Perhaps they are omitted because they are leaders in idolatry. Some think that the Antichrist will come from Dan. In Genesis 49:17, it says, They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me, so I may bless them. The tribes of Joseph and Levi are included in the list. Joseph doubtless taken the place of his son Ephraim. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. The people described in this section are Gentiles from all nations, tribes, people, and tongues. They stand before the throne and before the Lamb with white robes, the righteous acts of the saints, and holding palm branches, which are symbols of victory. 
chapter 7, verses 10, And they cry out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. These are Gentiles who will be saved during the Great Tribulation by trusting the Lord Jesus. In their song, they celebrate their salvation and attribute to our God, to the Lamb. Revelations chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. All the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders were four living creatures. They fell down on their face before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be our God forever and ever. Amen. The angels and the elders and the four living creatures joined in worshiping God, although the subject of redemption is missing from their praise. As the hymn writer said, angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings, but they do chant his praises and pronounce his worthy of seven distinct forms of honor. Revelation 7, 13, 14. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know? And he said, These are they who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the Lamb. When one of the elders asked John, Who are these people in the white? And where did they come from? John confessed ignorance, but a desire to know. Then the elder explained that they had come out of the great tribulation and had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 7, verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. The elder went on to explain their present location and service. Some students of the Bible do not agree to whether this Gentile multitude is seen in heaven or in the millennium, period. The blessings described are true of either place. If the millennium is in view, then the throne of God and His temple revert to the temple which we located in Jerusalem during the kingdom age. Notice the blessings are described perfect nearness, therefore they are before the throne of God, perfect service, and serve Him day and night in His temple. Perfect Fellowship he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Chapter 7, 16. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor be scorching heat. Perfect satisfaction. They shall never hunger, nor thirst any more. Perfect security. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. Chapter 7, 17. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Perfect guidance for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to fountains of water of life. Perfect joy. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's look at chapter 8 and 9, the seventh seal and the start of the seventh trumpet. After the parentheses of chapter 7, in which we saw two companies of tribulation saints, we now come to the seventh and the final seal. Chapter 8, verse 1, When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. This is introduced by a 30-minute silence in heaven, an awesome hush which proceeds over deepening judgments. Chapter 8, verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. No specific judgment is mentioned when the seventh seal is broken. The narrative moves directly to the seventh trumpet judgments. 
From this we infer that the seventh seal consists of seven trumpets. Revelations 8, 3 and 4, another angel who had a golden censer came when stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people and the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. The angel in this verse is often understood to be the Lord Jesus. He is called the angel of Jehovah in some of the Old Testaments like Genesis 16, 13, and 31, uh, 11, and 13. Let's read them so we can see. Genesis 16, 13. She gave his name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Genesis 31, 11, The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered here, I am. Genesis 31, 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you anoint in a pillar, and you were made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. The prayers of all the saints ascend to the Father through him. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He takes much incense to offer it with prayers. The incense speaks of the fragrances of his person and his work. By the time the prayers reach God the Father, they are perfectly flawless and perfectly effectual. In the context, the prayers are those of tribulation saints, beseeching God to punish their enemies, although the order is true for all prayer. Let's look at chapter 8, verses 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And then came perils of thunder, rumbling, flashings of lights, and an earthquake. In answer to their prayers, the angel threw flaming coals of the earth, causing loud explosions, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Thus, the seven trumpet judgments are introduced with violent disturbances of nature. We have now come to the middle of the tribulation period. Let's look at chapter 8, verses 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. These trumpet judgments takes us to the time when Christ descends to the earth, destroys his foes, and ushers in his kingdom. The first four judgments affects man's natural environment. The last three affect man himself. Chapter 8, verse 7, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there hail came, and fire mixed with the blood, and it was hurled down to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was also burned up. When the first angel sounded, a third part of the earth, trees, grass were burned by hail and fire mingled with blood. It is best to take this literally as a terrible calamity on the areas which man gets most of his food. Revelation chapter 8 verses 8 and 9. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Something like a great flaming mountain was thrown into the sea, turning a third of the sea into blood, destroying a third of the marine life, and wrecking a third of the ships. This would not only decease man's local food supply still further, but would reduce his means of obtaining food from distant places. Revelations 8 Verses 10 and 11. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. 
A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. This third trumpet signaled the fall of blazing star called Wormwood, causing a third of man's water supply to become bitter at its sources. Apparently, the bitter water was also poisonous since many men died. It is difficult to identify Wormwood. When the trumpet sounds, these verses will all be too clear to the earth's dwellers. In the study of prophecy, it is good to remember that there are many things that will not be clear until they actually take place. Let's look at chapter 8, verses 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and about a third of the night. It appeared that the sun, the moon, and the stars will be damaged in such a way that they will give only two-thirds of their usual light. The fourth trumpet resembles the plague of darkness in Egypt. Chapter 8, verses 13, As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in the midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. An eagle flying in mid-heaven pronounces a threefold woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That is, those who outlook and utterly worldly, who are at home on the earth, who are not true believers. The three remaining judgments are also known as three woes because of their dire effect on men. Let's look at Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the keys to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. The star fallen from heaven may have been a fallen angel or even Satan himself. He had the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, the abyss in Greek. This is the dwelling place of demons. When he opened the entrance to the abyss, billows of smoke poured forth as if from a huge furnace, veiling the landscape in darkness. Let's look at Revelations 9, 3 and 4. And out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. Swarms of locusts emerged from the smoke, capable of inflicting excruciating pain like the sting of scorpions, but their power was restricted. They were forbidden to harm vegetation. Their victims were those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads, that is, all who were unbelievers. Let's look at Revelations 9, 5, and 6. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. All their sting was not fatal. It is inflicted torment that lasts for five months. It was so intense that man wanted to die, but they couldn't. These locusts probably represented demons which, when released from the pit, took possession of unsaved men and women. This demon possession caused the most intense physical suffering and mental torture.
Chapter 9, verse 7, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their face resembled human faces. The description of the locusts is designed to create an impression of conquest and victory. Like horses prepared for battle, they are conquering hosts. Wearing gold crowns, they were authorized to rule in men's life. With human apparent faces, they were creatures of intelligence. Chapter 9, verses 8-10, with hair like women's, they were attractive and seductive. With lion-like teeth, they were ferocious and cruel. With armor-like breastplates, they were difficult to attack and destroy. With wings that made great sound, they were terrifying and demoralizing. Trolls like scorpions equipped them to torture, both physically and mentally. Their power to hurt unbelieving men and women for five months meant unrelieved suffering. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 11. They had a king whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction, but in Greek, Apollyon, means destroyer. This is generally understood to refer to Satan. Chapter 9, verses 12. The first of the three woes is past, the worst is yet to come, and the judgments increase in intensity. Chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the fourth horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said that the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The mention of the golden altar which is before God links the following judgment to the prayers of God's oppressed people. The sixth trumpeter releases four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. These four angels, perhaps demons, had been held in readiness for the exact moment to go forth and kill a third of mankind. Let's look at chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. Following them were two million riders on a horse with breastplates that were fiery red, hyren blue, and sulfur yellow. The horses' heads were like lions, and their mouths like belched fire, smoke, and sulfur, brimstone. Chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. These three, fire, smoke, and brimstone, represent three plagues which kill a third of mankind. Not only do the horses kill with their mouth, but they also wound with their serpentine tails. There are many unanswered questions in this passage. Are the four angels in verse 14 the same as those in chapter 7, verse 1? Are the riders real men, or do they represent demons, diseases, or other destructive forces? What are the three plagues that are pictured by fire, smoke, and sulfur? It is worth noticing that death is inflicted by the horses, not the riders. It is suggested that the mighty army of the horsemen might symbolize some irresistible delusion of the devil coming from the east. Their power is in their mouth may indicate that this delusion will be represented by all the persuasive eloquence of speech. But behind the delusion is the power of Satan, symbolized by their trails being like serpents. Let's look at chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Although two-thirds of mankind survive these plagues, they do not repent, but continue to bow down to demons and handmade idols, lifeless and impotent. They do not turn from being murderers, sorcerers, drug-related, sexual immorality, and thefts. Punishment and suffering cannot change a sinner's character. Only the new birth can do that. 
I'd like to finish by giving everyone a chance to know Jesus better. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Prayer of salvation is our first real conversation with God. The prayer of salvation is the most important prayer you'll ever pray. When you're ready to become a Christian, you're ready to have our first real conversation with God. And these are the components. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and that He came to the earth as a man in order to live the sinful life that we could not live. That He died in our place so that we would not have to pay the penalty we deserve. We confess our past life of sin, living for ourselves and not obeying God. We admit that we are ready to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, take up residence there, and begin living through us. It begins with faith in God. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're letting God know we believe that His Word is true. By the faith that He has given us, we choose to believe in Him. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 So when we pray, asking God for the gift of salvation, we're exercising our free will to acknowledge that we believe in Him. That demonstration of faith pleases God because we have freely chosen to know Him. We are confessing our sin. When we pray the prayer of salvation, we're admitting that we've sinned. As the Bible says of everyone, saved through Christ alone, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. To sin is simply falling short of the mark, as an arrow that does not quite hit the bullseye. The glory of God that we fell short of is found only in Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 so the prayer of salvation then recognizes that Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived without sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 What we are doing is we are professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. With Christ as our standard of perfection, we're now acknowledging him as God. Agreeing with the Apostle John that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Because God could only accept a sinless sacrifice because He knew that we could not possibly accomplish that. He sent His Son to die for us and pay the eternal price. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. Listen, if you want to say it today and mean it with your heart, don't wait a moment longer to start your new life with Jesus Christ. Remember, this prayer is not a magical formula. You are simply expressing your heart to God. And if you'd like to do that, Pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I am truly sorry and I now want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins, was resurrected from the dead, is alive, and hears my prayers today. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me obey you and to do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
So now you've prayed this and you're probably thinking, I prayed it, now what happens? If you prayed this prayer of salvation with true conviction in your heart, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a fact. Whether or not you feel any different, you are. Some religious systems may lead you to believe that you might feel something like a warm glow, a tingling, or some mystical experience. In fact, you might and you might not. If you have prayed the prayer of salvation and you meant it, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that your eternal salvation is secure. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10.9. So welcome to the family of God. We encourage you to find a local Bible-based church where you can fellowship with other believers and grow in the knowledge of God through his word, the Bible. This ministry is listener-supported. If you feel that you have benefited from this message from God, please consider helping to support this ministry and give a gift of any amount so we can continue to spread the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on this platform. Go to JesusIsTheVoiceOfTruth.com and may the Lord richly bless you, your family, and friends. Until next time, God bless and remember, Jesus is the Voice of Truth. I hope you enjoyed today's program. If you have any prayer requests or questions about Jesus is the Voice of Truth, we encourage you to email us at voiceoftruth411 at gmail.com or visit our website at jesusisthevoiceoftruth.com. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. Have a blessed day.